Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Before we go, is Daddy the most uncomfortable player nickname for the Golden Knights? <laughs> this is the Press Box. They had Daddy on uh, one of the in-between in interviews after the, after, you know, I think it was after the first period he scored. Ashley asked him one question, and the look in his face was, I don't know why I'm here. I don't want to be here. Can I please not be here? <laughs> felt bad for Daddy. With Grady and Bischoff. Here, do you know how much I love? Seven-time Nevada Sports Rider of the Year, Ed Grady. Daddy. <laughs> On ESPN Las Vegas. Daddy, Here Grady. we go! Monday, get up. Get fired up. Another week's upon us. Ed, Tyler, and Jared, here for your pleasure, listening entertainment. What are we fired up for? It's Monday. That's not a reason to be fired up. <laughs> Uh, really, sure it is. got to act like we're fired up. we got to act like we're fired up. Jared made homemade bread, and he brought his Easter presents with him. So, hey. Which is a bottle of vodka. Yes. <laughs> and two onions for whatever reason. The onions, the onions uh, surprised me more than the other stuff. What are the onions for? You chop them up, and you add them to food, and You're it a makes cook. it taste good. You're a cook. I mean, shallots are better, but onions work in a pinch. Did you make that entire loaf of bread? Yes. Yes, I did. Could you? Of course not. No. I have no idea. Why would I want to do that? Terrible. They <laughs> I'm sell not it saying would you want to. I'm just like saying could you? Yeah. Not that you'd want to. Is Jared, is making bread even cost efficient? Yeah. I mean, I would say so. I think it's. It, I think it costs based on the amount of flour you use and like salt and sugar and yeast. It's like 48 cents. All right. Oh, save 250. Yeah. But it also typically doesn't have, you know, random chemicals you've never heard of that yeah, are. I'll be fine. I'll live. Trans fats. Well, it definitely has that. Yes. <laughs> the first bite. There's butter in that bad boy. The first bite is brought to you by the Unnecessary Roughness Podcast. Is Edmonton too good for the Golden Knights Man. now? What happened? What happened to the Edmonton team that the Golden Knights just ran through mm-hmm. and just had no problem beating in the past? What's going on here, Mikey Smith? It's amazing how different that game looked the other day than past games. The Oilers won three out of four against Vegas this wow. year. Wow! Um, and they might be good defensively now. And that's that's I guess I guess maybe is the the real question here. Should we be giving credit to Edmonton for being better defensively because this has been a team basically since the Golden Knights have been have existed the Edmonton Oilers have been a team that's scored well has had good offensive performances Connor McDavid Leon Dreisaitl are excellent but defensively they've kind of always been a mess and that's been the reason why the Golden Knights have done so well against Edmonton and why Edmonton has struggled so much in the last five years or so but now, all of a sudden, this Edmonton team might actually be good defensively, and do, should we be giving them credit, or are we still pointing the finger at the Golden Knights for not being able to score like they just did on Saturday in what was a critical game for their playoff hopes? I'm going to say the latter because of who's on the ice now for the Golden Knights. I'm going to say the latter for, you know, it's not like, oh, a month ago where hey, you had 10 people that matter on LTIR and the, uh, the injured list. Now you've got enough people back. Pat Reddy, Stone, Eichel, Marshall, all these guys. It's like you can't score a goal against Mike Smith after scoring, what, six against Calgary? Yeah, they go from That's six your fault. against Calgary to shut out against Edmonton. And 
the only significant offensive threat that is out of the lineup right now is Riley Smith. Right. Everybody else is you know, playing depth pieces that are that are missing time right now. But all of the big names are in there except for Riley Smith. And they scored six goals against Calgary, right? They had a great offensive game against Calgary. But against Edmonton, they didn't produce a single goal. And they didn't get any shots from right in front of the mm-hmm. net. I think that's one of the, the big keys if you just go back and look at a lot of games the Golden Knights have played. When they struggled, they don't get anything right in front of the net, whether it's guys deflecting shots and trying to get it past Mike Smith or it's just getting to that part of the net or part of the ice and putting a shot on net. They didn't get anything against Edmonton right there, which is, I think, A, a credit to Edmonton for not allowing it because that's something the Golden Knights didn't in the past have much problems with getting against the Oilers. But B, that's... I feel like that's probably been the biggest issue with this team in the postseason the last few years is when they've had these scoring droughts, they do a re- they have a really tough time getting to the front of the net to get shots on goal and get like when we say hockey is dumb, when I say hockey is dumb, a lot of times it's because there's some stupid deflection that happens or something really dumb happens that wasn't supposed to happen that leads to a goal. And that's why a lot of times it's dumb. But you do deserve some credit for being in the right area. You do deserve some credit for putting yourself in front of the net so that it can deflect off your ankle and into the back of the net or something stupid like that. And the Golden Knights didn't do that on Saturday. And a lot of times they haven't done that this year when they've been injured, but also now all of a sudden that they're pretty close to full strength. They don't do it enough to where you think they're going to score enough goals to actually make the playoffs. Okay, so we do go back. Do we go back to Edmonton defense in the middle of the ice in the neutral zone and give them credit? Yeah, but not. Here's the thing: if you if you put a team together with Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, Alex Petrangelo, William Carlson, Jonathan Marchessault, Max Pacioretty, Max Pacioretty, I think you expect to score goals on everyone you play. Yes. Like, I don't, I don't think you go into any matchup with those players and think, you know what? They're going to dictate what our offense does. That we're we're going to struggle scoring against them. You don't put together this lineup. You don't put together a team with that many high-dollar players. You don't add Jack Eichel to a team that's already over the cap and with the thought process of, well, some teams are just going to be able to shut us down. No, you do all that so that nobody can shut you down. And the Golden Knights got shut down on Saturday. And again, it's a game. We're not in must-win territory. They're not eliminated yet with a loss, but it's a game that they pretty much had to have. I mean, every single one from here on out, they kind of have to have to make the playoffs. And they completely no-showed. And they've done this a couple of times now where they completely Mm no-show, even after having great performances. And that, to me, I mean, I don't know what you do if you're you're expecting to make the playoffs and you go and get shut out in Edmonton and lose – get blown out by the Oilers. I thought Mike Smith, he had 39 saves. Like, I didn't walk away saying he had an incredible no, game. It, high volume, but low quality. Right. Is effectively what the Golden Knights did, which uh, we've seen that Any kind of good goalie can have that game. Right, exactly. We've seen that quite a bit throughout uh, the Golden Knights history, but even more specifically in this game and, and probably recently, it's been an issue. They've now been shut out seven times this season. Uh, Jesse Granger had the stat the first four years. They were shot out a combined 12 times. <laughs> like this was a team. They did not. They didn't get shut out for four seasons. It just, it just didn't happen. Like this, this team was good enough for four years. They just didn't get shut out. And now they've been shut out seven times. And 
some of that, sure, you can blame on injuries, right? We've we've said it a lot. When Keegan Colasar is getting power play minutes, you kind of look around and say, well, okay, this team's not very good today. But Keegan Colasar is not getting power play anymore. Any, anymore. That's not the, the Who lineup. Who is getting is, the power play? Because it stinks. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's stunk no matter who's getting it's, the power play. It's minutes. stunk a lot for a long time now. <laughs> it's not. It's not. This didn't just happen on on Saturday. They did not score a, another power play goal on Saturday against Edmonton. They did give up a shorthanded goal against Edmonton. Um, this is, I mean, it's been a disaster for this team. I know we talked about it last week in terms of, hey, if they were probably going to look back and say if their power play was just average, they might be a playoff team because of it. But it's, I don't know, it's hard to pick out one thing and be like, yep, that is the exact reason. But this power play has been so bad. It's terrible. And it's been bad for a long time that it's 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 hard to believe that it's this bad. Because, again, you, you just go through the names of players they can put on the ice on the power. I mean, they have two legitimately or should be legitimately good defensemen for the power play in Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo. Mm-hmm. You, would, you would think mm-hmm. those two would be great defensemen on the power play. And then whatever combination you want to throw out there of Eichel, Pacioretty, Stone, Carlson, Marcheseau, Throw Dodonov in there, Chandler Stevenson, like whatever combination of those forwards you want to put out there, you should be able to score. You should not have a bottom 10 power play in the NHL, which is what the Golden Knights have. And it's what they've had for a while now. And it's it's unreal that it's that bad. And I mean, I have to imagine at this point, this team misses the playoffs. It's almost it's got to be a guarantee, right? That the assistant coaches are gone. At least one of them. I mean, at least, I mean, they already changed, they already changed the power play. Yeah, from Steve Spot to Ryan Craig. Yeah. But I have to imagine that, like, the power play, you can't miss the playoffs. And have that bad a power play. And not have any sort of change. Right. And if we sort of believe the general consensus right now that Bill Foley's not going to make a major change because he's going to look at it and say, well, injuries and... It's not like the team fell completely apart. They were close. Right. It's it's easy to justify why this team missed the playoffs, but you still have to look around and say, well, things still didn't go well, so what do we need to change? Yeah. And that, that to me, seems like the easy one. And if the power play – I mean, listen, if they go on a run here in the last six power play scores like one goal in their last 20 to end the season, there's no there's no chance, right? No. Like no. you've got to look around and say, yeah, that was horrific. Who's, who's this, whose issue is this? Right. That was horrific, and that has to change. Um, quickly on the goaltending, or maybe we'll get more into this probably later in the show. Logan Thompson is still the best goalie on the team? I think he is. Okay. Um, I think he is. Leonard's, Robin, Leonard's back. Yeah, Leonard went Left. home to handle a family Personal sickness issue. Right. Uh, before that Edmonton game. But Yuri Patera, who was called up as the backup, was reassigned to Henderson, <laughs> which would imply that Robin Leonard's back and would be – Able to play. Tonight. How scared were they if they, they had to play that part? To kid. go to Yuri Patera. Oh, ouch. <laughs> ouch. A team, a team pushing for the a playoff, playoff spot, spot had Logan Thompson and Yuri, Yuri Patera as their goalies. Twelve months ago, they had Mark Andre Fleury and Robin, Robin Leonard, Leonard as their goalies, who had the best combined save for NHL. So it'll be interesting tonight. Well, we'll know because it'll be well. It's a it's a morning skate. It might be optional, so we'll see who's the first goalie off the ice. First goalie off the ice. I hope neither of them come out, and then nobody knows. It's Yuri Patera. Yuri Patera's like running. It's like you you know we sent you down, right? You know we you know you're not even supposed to be here. Um, 
to morning skate, who knows will be out there, but uh, it'll be it will be interesting tonight because Leonard's obviously back since they sent him back to Henderson. So yeah. um, we'll see. Yeah. Gave up four, but we'll see who's out there tonight. Now, if it's Logan Thompson after giving up four, then he's their number one goalie. Can you play Logan Thompson like at left wing and see if he can score some goals? <laughs> That might, be, the, that might be more helpful. The big than, stick. Yeah, that might be more helpful than him and that. Yes, the big stick might deflect something <laughs> yes, in exactly. front of the net. It might actually help. Go get a help. tip. Go get a tip with the big stick. All right, coming up next is the Celtics Nets. Is this going to be amazing for an entire seven games? Eight seconds. Kick out. Left side. Smart up picks. Finds the cutter. Tatum spins, lays it up and in to beat the buzzer. It's over. It's over. The Celtics have won the ball game at the buzzer. We can't control that. We gotta focus on what we can do, and there'll be some times we get, you know, some calls in our favor, and there'll be some times that we don't. But I, I trusted that those guys worked as hard as they could tonight. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the press box with Grainy and Bischoff. The Celtics beat the Nets 115-114, the highlight of the first round of the NBA playoffs. The two seed versus the seven seed. So Kyrie Irving hits a three to put the Nets up by three with 40 seconds left. Brooklyn didn't score on their last possession, and Boston scored on both of their final possessions, including that buzzer beater layup from Jason Tatum. Do you think we'll get somewhere between three and six more games like that? I hope we do. I don't think we'll get three. I don't think we'll get another (laughs) game like that, but I think we'll get close games, and I'd love to get, like, Six more of those, but it's going to be hard to mimic that one and just, you know, right at the end and someone hitting a shot like that. It'd I be awesome. I have to give credit to the Boston Celtics for not taking a timeout. They got right. a ten rebound left. with 10 seconds left yeah. and did not call a timeout. Right. They got it up the floor. They Hell, the Boston Celtics got a rebound with just over 10 seconds left. No timeout. They got the ball up the floor. They got dribble penetration. Somebody mm-hmm. dribbled into the paint, kicked it out. Marcus Smart pump faked a three, and then Jason Tatum had an off-ball cut and made the layup. Mm-hmm. That if they had called a timeout, they would not have gotten something. They wouldn't drawn have gotten out anywhere near that. That was as good as that. No, basketball is so much better when there aren't timeouts late in games. So much better when there aren't. We need to ban all timeouts from the sport of basketball, and we'll get a lot more finishes that are entertaining like that. Teams might not always score in that final possession. But it'll be a lot more entertaining when we have that. So thank you, Boston Celtics, yeah. for not calling a timeout. I appreciate the it. The only thing better for my for my Brooklyn team would have been someone coming over and blocking. That's a true. Shot. Your Brooklyn prediction yes. uh, needed Took Kyrie shot, Irving to do shot. something on defense, yeah. not just stand there as right. Jason Tatum spun around him right. for a layup. Which okay, I am I am conflicted at the moment. Why do I find myself cheering for Kyrie Irving? Uh, you like people flipping people off, I guess? I love you're, villains. I was going to say, you're both jerks. Yeah, I love <laughs> villains. And and the Celtics fans like have made Kyrie Irving, to me, a likable villain on the court. Well, this is this just in. This is not the first time Celtic fans have been accused of <laughs> yelling things they shouldn't and being complete lunatics. Uh, Who was I, it that said, no, no, I play for the Celtics. I do not play for the city of Boston. Yeah, exactly. So not surprising that this is the fan base he's getting into with. Um, I don't know. I thought it was kind of funny. I mean, that they I went mean, back and forth and he's flipping people I off. If I see a player flip off the crowd, I immediately like that guy more. I am immediately like, yes, 
Thank you. Flip them off. And then did you see the video of him trying to do it behind his head? Yeah, when they got on the out of bounds. Hilarious. I, I, I think I, he did it behind his head. Yeah, I don't he, think did. he tried to oh, do yeah, it behind did. his head. He did it behind his head. Hilarious. I, I love every second of that. Kyrie Irving's been extremely annoying this entire season, but he's playing the one team that I think could have made me like him at the moment. And that is him being the villain, getting booed every time he touches it, flipping off the crowd. Now, afterwards, he complained because people were saying curse words at him. And it's like, hey, come on. If they're just yelling cuss words at you. Right. right. Get over it. Right. Like, that's like that's nothing bad. But I still love the athlete that flips off the opponent's crowd. And especially, listen, they didn't win. But he did make, like, almost the biggest shot of the game. Yeah. Right? That three. That step back three. If the if Boston doesn't score on both of their yeah, last they two lose possessions, the that's the biggest shot of the game. And Kyrie hit it. And he was awesome in the fourth. I I love the, the guy. Third, 18 right, in the fourth, I think. I love the guy that will flip off the crowd and, and then score 18 be the best player right. in the game right. for the final however many Right, because if you're flipping them off, you better be good. Right, exactly. Because if not, they'll just. You they'll, can't. You can't be you. you can't be Nick Claxton and flipping and flip off the crowd. Out. Yeah, then you look like an idiot. <laughs> so I I don't I kind of hate myself for it, but I am now cheering for Kyrie Irving, and it feels bad. It feels gross, but I'm cheering for Kyrie Irving because I love the villain, and he is out here flipping off the Boston crowd, and it's phenomenal. I I love every second of it. It's great. Now, take that last possession as a perfect example where. Jason Tatum with an off-ball cut spins around Kyrie Irving. And not that it was easy. It was a buzzer-beating, he's-on-the-move spinning layup. But there was no one actually there to contest Jason Tatum's layup at the end. How much would Ben Simmons help this team? Uh, Would he have come over and helped side and actually blocked a shot? I think that is exactly where I think Ben Simmons Mm. helps this team, is contesting that exact shot. The Celtics' last two possessions, they got layups at the rim. Jalen Brown right. had one out yes. of the timeout. Got, yes. str- I mean, it took them two seconds. They got straight to the rim for a layup. That's where Ben Simmons helps. Ben Simmons doesn't help this team on offense because Ben Simmons might not shoot the ball. He might be afraid to, but they don't really need that. They've got Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, and their offense is going to carry this team, but they need something, some semblance of defense, and that's where Ben Simmons helps on that final possession is he probably contests a shot, at least one of those last two, and he's 6'10", and makes it a lot harder to make a layup than Kyrie Irving just sort of standing there doing a whole lot of nothing. No one came over at all. No, well, I mean, it, but it also happened really fast. Yeah, I mean, Kyrie was in the vicinity, yeah, but, but didn't didn't move. Like, I don't right. think he moved a limb. No, while Jason kind of reached spun out as the guy much taller than him yes. scored the layup. That was it. And here's the other part about Ben Simmons, where I don't think he would hurt because where obviously Ben Simmons hurts is on the offensive end, right? That's that's where this all blew up with Philadelphia, where he was awful in the playoffs, afraid to shoot, had the one moment where he had a layup or a dunk and just didn't take it, right? It's not going to be as big of a deal in Brooklyn, A, because Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to take the ball and shoot the ball every time. But if you take Brooklyn's last offensive possession where they did not score, Boston sent a double team at Kyrie Irving. They left Goran Dragic completely unguarded in the corner. Kyrie Irving didn't even look at him. Mm-hmm. Didn't even pick up his. Didn't even imagine a pass to Goran Dragic was a possibility. What difference does it make if Ben Simmons is in the game right there? You double off Ben Simmons and right. Kyrie. Guess what? Doesn't right. pass to Ben Simmons either. Then you get to triple team Kyrie though, because now you got two guys <laughs> that you're like, well, he's definitely not passing to either of these two idiots. <laughs> but he should pass to Goran oh. Dragic. 
He should. Dragic, yes. Simmons, but, no. I mean, listen, if Simmons is on the block and they don't guard him, I try, Ben Simmons mm. will dunk it. I, he will dunk it. Yes. Mm. If there's no one he, around he him. Did it, well, he didn't do it last year. Okay, that's where part I of the issue is. I was going to say, we have, we have evidence <laughs> do, that he's... But I have confidence him not playing for an entire year. If he catches on the block and there's the nobody, ball. he will dunk it. I feel he's like, 6'10", he will dunk it. I don't know. I've, I I feel like he's only comfortable doing that around his like cousins at a pickup game in, at the YMCA. I don't I don't think he's comfortable doing that at a professional game. He will dunk it. I have confidence he will dunk it if given the opportunity with nobody around him. He will actually dunk the ball. I full confidence in him to do that. I think the Nets need Ben Simmons because I think he helps them. He would help them so much on the defensive end, which is where they're awful. And you saw it. They took a three-point lead with 40 seconds left and, and lost, lost the game. game. If they have Ben Simmons just slightly contest one of the two layups, they probably win the game because one of those two layups well, probably, probably doesn't don't go. go in. And they win. And they're up one nothing on Boston instead of down one nothing. Do you believe both of these teams can win the title? Well, you know I believe I, one You picked can. one of them. I believe one can. The one that lost game one. <laughs> I don't know if the Celtics can win the title, and they just beat my Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> <laughs> I have to stay with Brooklyn, even though I don't know either. I mean, can you win don't the title. have to. I admire it, but you don't have to. <laughs> no, stick I have with to. Them. I have to. I have to stick right with them. We'll get Down to one we'll, we'll get to. We'll get you some other options later in the show. Like Milwaukee. Where, well, I mean, I wasn't going to go there. I was going to go with the Hall of Fame coach. Oh and, yeah, uh, he showed up. Boy, he he, he showed Did up. He man. show up. And well, Tyler, his team showed and up. Tyler out there shooting threes. All they did was just take out Trey Young the entire game. Well, that's not an easy Kyle task. Lowry at one. No, no, no. I don't mean make him miss shots. I mean physically take. Yeah. To, at one point in the game, Kyle Lowry blocked out Trey Young by putting his palm into Trey Young's face. Hey. You got to do it, man. At one point during a dead ball, Kyle Lowry dove into Trey Young's ankles. The Hall of Famer watching coat, watching film. That How is do we take this guy out of the horrible game? Horrible basketball. No. They are just the like, oh, basketball. there's one guy on the eight oh. seed that might score. Oh man, I get to find I get to find the famous sound from the uh from the Hawks when they're referring to the uh, Miami Heat. This is going to be great. I'm going to go find it right now. This is so exciting. I don't know what I don't know I don't, what's know, happening. I don't remember that. But I don't remember that. They just took out Trey yes. Young the entire game. And yeah, he had, what, eight points or something like one that? One of eight, right? Was no, he I think it was eight? eight points, one of 12 shooting. Yeah, I think that was it. He was awful. I mean, yeah, but, it's terrible. But when you're getting blocked out by a guy just stiff-arming you in the face. Hey, overcome it. Call a foul. It's the, uh, it's the Hall of Famer. Call a foul <laughs> when they're just blatantly going after Trey Young. It's absurd. Jared, we need to go to break. Whatever you're looking for, we need to go to break. Because coming up next... David Shane joins the show. Yeah, we got to regroup. I mean, you know, we, we've talked about this. We knew we weren't going to run the table. We talked about that two weeks ago. We were going to drop some points along the way. Uh, we're still right in the thick of things and short memory and get ready for the next one. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now from the Review Journal is David Shane. Good morning, David. How are you? Hey, Dave. Hey, guys. I'm good. How about you? Uh, good. I got the same question for you that we've probably asked you 45 times this year. What's wrong with the power play? 
<laughs> okay, so I was actually prepared for this question, and I have like a full on. I got stats and everything, oh, so like nice. we can talk about this like the whole time if nice. you want. All right, so here's here's my thing. Here's what I've come up with. There's there's two things that every good power play has. You have a finisher, and you have a quarterback. The Golden Knights lack a finisher. If if you're going to look at like Max Pacioretty is kind of being the guy who you know, with his shot and release and all that and the right circle and everything. Max Pacioretty has had one 10-plus power play goal season in his career. Like, that's kind of the standard line, I guess. You know, 10-plus power play goals is, is pretty good. He's only done it once in his whole career. The Knights, as a franchise, have only had one guy with 10-plus power play goals in a season. Um, that's kind of like a fun little bit of trivia um, I'll leave it alone for a second. I'll tell you the answer. Um, but like, there's nobody that can just finish the way that, you know, Ovechkin does the way that dry does the way that like Chris Kreider is doing in, in, uh, New York with the Rangers. Like they just don't have that finisher. It, so it's Eric Howell, by the way, who, oh. um, is the only Jeez. one who's hit, I think 11 in the first season. And that was actually when they were an okay power play. Since then, nobody has reached double digits. The other thing is the kind of that quarterback of the power play thing. And this is where I'm going to point to Shea Theodore. And Shea Theodore is having a phenomenal season. Like, he's one point away from a career high. And I'm like, I'm not saying anything. But it's the power play where Shea Theodore has either one, not developed, or two, is just not that quarterback kind of guy. And let me throw some, some numbers at you. So, for defenseman in the NHL. He ranks 19th overall in points. He's tied for 24th in assists. He's 16th in even strength points. So all pretty good, like right around that same range. When it comes to power play stuff, he's 31st among defensemen in power play points. He is tied for 79th in power play assists. So if you're looking for like somebody who needs to step up a game, something like what they're lacking and all this, like, we can get into the whole bumper and, like, formation and all that. That's boring. Like, some of this, to me, comes down to just, like, personnel. Everybody wants to blame the coaches and all. And they, they need to accept some of the blame. Like, there has to be some foundational, like, formational changes. But to me, a lot of this is personnel. You know, a guy like Dodonov was supposed to come in and fix it, and he hasn't either. So... Let, let me ask you this long-term on the power play this off season. Do they need to, they don't have any salary cap space. They're over the salary cap. They've already got a bunch of big or high paid players. Do they need to find either a finisher or a better quarterback for the power play? Or we're talking about this the same way we are the uh, same way we are now next season. I think in some sense. Yeah. And where I think they need maybe could, could upgrade as a finisher. Cause I think the quarterback now is going to be Jack Eichel. I think that's who it's going to run through. It's just going to kind of run through that half wall a little more like, you know, the Oilers do with McDavid on the right side. It'll be more like Eichel on the left. Like it's not going to kind of run through the top the way it's supposed to or did early on with, with Theodore. So I think you hope that with Eichel out there, you have somebody with that vision and creativity that can find the pass, that can, you know, unlock a, a penalty kill and open things up and get, you know, the other team kind of scrambling around and, and, you know, out of its shape and all that. But I think a finisher is, is something that they lack and that's something that they're going to need. And yeah, I think potentially if that's not an area that they address in the off season, we could be talking about this in the same context.
It's funny you say that. It's amazing. We were talking about earlier about some of the names they now, you know, with the injuries not as severe, some of the names they put out there. It's just shocking that they don't have someone like this. Uh, and when you look around the league, given how many, you know, good good ones they are and what they make, is it plausible that they could find someone as bad as they've been, better than the guys they have on skill-wise? I mean, that's the challenge with the salary cap. It's not like the guys that are, you know, good power play scores or consistent guys, you know, every year in the league are available all the time. Like those guys, you don't find them really, really easily. I mean, I guess, you know, I don't know what we wait a year and maybe Brendan Brisson is the guy firing from the right <laughs> well, circle. Like maybe he might be the guy now. The answer. <laughs> I mean, his first goal was a power play <laughs> yeah, goal, right? Exactly. The silver Knights. Let's, let's call him up. Should they call him up right now? Why are we waiting a year? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get him to figure out that contract thing or right. whatever. Get him off that, that uh, ATO or whatever they call it for the Silver Knights. But, yeah, I mean, I do think it's it's a tough area to address. And, and to answer your, your question, Ed, I think they tried with the Donov. I think they, right. you know, they said this is a guy that, that we think can stand in that middle of the ice and, you know, clean up some of the dirty stuff and, and all that. He just hasn't worked out. So in some respects, I'll give him, give him kudos, like, you know, good try, good effort, but, or, you know, whatever that saying is. But it just it didn't work. It hasn't worked, and they they have to figure out a way to to solve that. You're talking about middle of ice and near the net. Did you give more credit to Edmonton defensively, or were they just really bad and it's embarrassing they didn't get in front of the net more to have more chances? So I'll actually give Edmonton a lot of credit in this case, and and maybe it was a you know end of the road trip and all that. It wasn't like there was a lot of travel. It shouldn't shouldn't be the case where maybe they ran out of gas, but. You know, without being able to, you know, be up there and ask them, it's a little tough to to speculate on that. I, I do think Edmonton in, in the coaching change and what they've done defensively certainly needs to be acknowledged and praised from that game, though. I thought they did a really good job just dropping back. You know, if the, if the Knights were going to fire from the point, they were very content to let them. You know, they, they did a good job guarding the house and clearing the front of the net, you know, letting Mike Smith, you know, see the pucks that were coming at him for the most part, it just didn't feel like the Knights were able to generate, you know, a lot of those quality looks in the dangerous areas. And, and I think that's just because Edmonton, you know, played that system that seems to give the Knights fits where they will drop back, you know, protect the area around the crease and just kind of give the Knights the perimeter. And, and again, that's just something else that the Knights haven't been able to solve. And, and I'm not sure entirely what the X's and O's answer is, you know, for that one either. So getting ahead of ourselves, if this team does catch L.A. and make the playoffs, they'd be playing Edmonton in the first round. Is Edmonton too good now? Like, is that a series loss for the Golden Knights, even if they get in? I mean, I wouldn't quite chalk it up as that. I certainly looked at that game differently um, in terms of just what Edmonton presents now and, and sort of, I think, their buy-in to, to their system. So I think it becomes a different challenge. I don't trust Edmonton's goaltending as far as I can spit or whatever like Mike Smith played well and you know but like I, I I just I don't trust that goaltending in a seven game series I mean I guess the, the flip side is if we're gonna like sit here and talk about it and try to be fair like, I don't know if I trust the Knights goaltending right now either I mean like Logan Thompson's played you know good at times he's been fine at other times I, I'm just not sure I would want to you know put my Stanley Cup hopes you know and dreams on a third string goaltender or at least the third string goaltender at the start of the year um, maybe he's Jordan Bennington 2.0, but I, I'm not sure I see that quite yet. Um, but I think if they do get Edmonton and the Knights get in, they have to be playing well to get in. 
And I do think Edmonton would be a vulnerable team and, you know, a team that, that maybe the, the Knights could catch. If Logan Thompson starts tonight, is he the goalie the rest of the way? I mean, I think it depends on how he plays. I mean, obviously it's New Jersey. It's a team out of the playoffs. And I love Daryl Sutter's quote the other day about, you know, kind of the three teams you play right now, like, you know, the ones that are already in and are trying to, like, fight for position, the ones that are fighting to get in, and then the ones that have guys that are fighting for jobs mm-hmm. and, and stay in the league. And that's kind of New Jersey right now, and that's their motivation, and, you know, that's what's going to make them a dangerous team. I, I am fascinated by the goaltending situation, and I understand that, you know, the Knights put, you know, the release out on Robin Leonard, and, and hopefully everything's okay with the family emergency, and Yuri Patera being sent back down gives you an indication that, probably everything will be, you know, okay. And that Leonard is, is probably going to come back. We'll see at the morning skate, but I'm fascinated by, by the dilemma that, that Pete DeBoer faces and like, you know, look flat out. Robin Leonard wasn't great. Maybe something was on his mind that night. You know, we'll, we'll never know. And I'm referring to the Vancouver game, but I mean, if Logan Thompson gets on a roll, like you, you got to go with the hot hand. So, you know, we'll see tonight. We'll see what they do down the stretch, but it's, I know it's a it's a dilemma that Pete DeBoer wasn't expecting to face, and I, I'm I'm fascinated to see sort of the long term implications and if they get to the playoffs and if they don't, and then what happens with the goaltending in the off season because of what's happened in the last month here. How legitimate? I mean, I guess we still have these handful of games left for this to maybe make its decision on its own. But how legitimate is the idea that? Robin Leonard is not the starting goalie for game one next year. For next year, I think, I think at this point it's legitimate. I mean, I think if, if, he's the, if he's not able to get them across the finish line, I think there will be repercussions for that, whether it's you know, because of extenuating circumstances, family emergencies, you know, injury, or whatever it is, like that whole saying about the best ability is availability, and like they needed their number one goaltender down the stretch to play well. And he hasn't played as well as they've needed. They traded the face of the franchise and they gave this guy, you know, not this guy, sorry. They gave Robin Leonard a five-year, $25 million contract. They made him the starter. They did everything they could to basically give it to him and let him run. And this year, at least he hasn't been good enough. And we all know what happens, you know, around this team when you're not good enough. Like, they make changes. The problem is I don't know if there's anybody better out there available that they could get, that they could say, oh, all right, you know, now our Stanley Cup aspirations are, you know, in good hands or in better hands than, than they were with Robin Leonard. And I think that's the, the hard part and, and where if the Knights, you know, want to make a change, they're going to have to, to figure out who could we get, who's better. And, and I'm not sure, you know, really who that is, but – if they hitch their wagon to Robin Leonard and he's not able to get it done down the stretch, he's also the same person who has complimented the Knights for having no politics when it comes to playing time and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, if he didn't perform and they have to make a change or they make a change, then, you know, he should understand. He's, he was the one that said he understood before when it came to Fleury and all that. So, you know, he should understand now if, if that's what it comes to. Well, he is David Shane of the Review Journal. David, as always, we appreciate it. Awesome stuff, man. Thanks.
Thanks, guys. Have a great show. Awesome. He was uh, ready with the uh, power play. Good for him. <laughs> that was excellent. That was excellent, man. <laughs> yeah, L- I was like, man, let me throw some stuff. numbers at you, and it's like, thank you. Yes, yes. yes. We need numbers. That was awesome. How about Eric Howla is the only Golden Knight ever to have 10-plus power play goals in a season? I was on a bad knee. That is a, no, that was before the bad. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was pretty. Just that knee injury, he could have been. Oh, the, he, could he could have, have fixed the power play for a whole decade. Yes. How many did Cody Eakin have? That's the. You know what's a fun stat, Jared? Oh my god! I need to go double check this. Cody Eakin, I think, is still top ten all time in goals for Golden Knights. Coming up next, <laughs> find out if Cody Eakin's a top ten Golden Knight of all time. No doubt, Seattle would be a great market. Las Vegas would be a great market, and so. We'll look at it. It's interestingly, it's it's not on the front burner okay. for our league right now. And and also, we're going to go through a new collective bargaining negotiation. I also think there's a lot of uncertainty in the media world right now. All these new streaming platforms potentially interested in sports, so it's it's hard to set the right value. I think that's something we're going to monitor as well. So nothing will happen in in, in the short or medium term, but we'll turn back to it at some point. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Stay tuned for Bischoff's Briefs, and we'll get into Adam Silver talking about NBA expansion and Las Vegas not being on the front burner. Um, The Grizzlies lost to the Timberwolves. Seven seed beat a two seed. Uh, I don't know if we want to actually talk about that game or the woman who chained herself to the basket to protest the T-Wolves owner, Glenn Taylor. This is glue lady, and now we have chain lady. I'd rather talk about her because I think the Grizzlies will be fine. So you do? Okay. I think it'll be fine. I think there were like, well, a lot of these teams that had a lot of time off, some were able to get through it and some weren't, and I think they'll be much, much better in the second game. All right. I hope so. It's a it's a fun first-round series. Those are two of the top five teams in pace in the NBA, so it's very fast. Anthony Edwards, How very fun. How good was that guy? He's very fun, too. Man. Uh he and John Morant, uh, that's yeah. that, that's a fun matchup, a fun star matchup for the first round. But the woman that chained herself to the basket, I'm assuming this is the same group that had the lady glue herself <laughs> to the floor. So. <laughs> you see them getting like their meetings. All right, who's going to do what? <laughs> Jenny, you're going to glue yourself. Martha, you're going to chain yourself. So what's Anything next? Else? What do they do next? I mean, how do you protest the third time around? Run out on the court during the game. But they, but their whole, but okay, between the glue and the chain, right? It's, they very clearly want to make themselves an immovable object. They want true. to to disrupt the game, and they don't want to. And be they don't want, removed. and they want to disrupt it to right. where it's going to take a long time for them to get right. off. That lady thought, "I'm going to glue myself to the floor, and they it's won't be able to forever. get me up." <laughs> the other lady thought, "I'm going to chain myself to the basket, and, and they, they won't be able to get me." Now they just ripped the lady up from the glue. Still to be determined how much skin was left on the court. And they just broke this other woman's chain off the basket and then dragged her out. (laughs) (laughs) And Uh, I am fascinated to see what step three is. Also, a side note, how'd she get a chain into the arena? Are there any security measures whatsoever anymore with sports? Usually, even if you carry in a sign like, oh, let me see the sign. Let's see what the sign says. Now she's carrying in chains. Right. That would A, that has to set up set off every metal well, detector, yes. right? Yes. There, unless this was like a not non-metal chain, in which case she's an idiot, that's gonna get broken pretty easily. But two, like, okay, 
and in a bag. They let you take bags in. Yeah, but still, it's going to set it but off. What's right? the, if well, they go through, eh, do they all go through? This may sound silly, but do they all go through metal detectors now? I mean, I haven't been to a sporting event without a metal detector in a long time. Did now, they do metal detectors at BTS? Yes. Oh, they did. Yes. Okay. Now. Some are more lenient than others in terms of how easy it is to get through and yes. how much they're yes. actually paying attention. So maybe that's what happened here in Memphis. But I can't remember the last sporting event I went to where I did not walk through a metal detector. Now, it is the press entrance. I won't say where. But the curious quick looks they give in the bags, you know this. <laughs> I mean, it's like you, it, all you have to do is put the notebook on top. And yeah. Whatever's under, it's under it. You're good because to go. They just, they just see the notebook. So I, but I'm very curious how she got this metal chain in because it should have set off a metal detector unless they just said, yep, whatever, it's broken, just keep coming in. No worries. So fascinating to see what they do a third time around because somehow, somehow they've got a one up. The glue didn't work, the chain didn't work. So how do they attach themselves to the court or some part of the court and not be removed from the game? I'm trying to look right now at the chain. Was it metal or was it a rope? It was a chain, yeah. It was. It was a. It, I, I'm assuming it was metal, but it, it was a chain. It wasn't just okay. a rope. If it was a rope, they would have cut. They actually like got a crowbar looking thing and like broke the chain. Is how they got it removed from the the stanchion, the basket. Right. Oh, like, it is a chain. It's yeah. a gold chain. Yeah, and like it's they, a linked chain. They dragged it's her out gold? Like, like it was yes. a leash. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, and I got it, guys. And if you're wondering what you do, you handcuff yourself to John Morant. Okay, so you got to get bad. get handcuffs. That's that's a that's not a bad idea. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. Handcuff yourself to to the star player in the series, and then eat the key. <laughs> this guy literally <laughs> has somewhat of a no, crowbar. no. But that's like that's one of those moves that's like ah, oh, come on. <laughs> now you're gonna have the Timberwolves pay this lady to do that, so they get John Morant off the floor. Can you believe? Oh, there she goes. Oh, they carried her out. Well, no, they you also uh, you also have someone handcuffed themselves to Carl Anthony Town. So that's like we don't play favorites. <laughs> they carried her out, man. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was. They. It was not if a you're comfortable sitting in ride. the front row right there, and she walks forward and starts doing this. So you just kind of, I guess, you're well, just kind of mesmerized, going, "Hey, look what she's." She doing. was apparently there for like a couple minutes. Doing this, yeah, she yeah, was there for a couple minutes. Like, you would just stare at her, saying, "What's this person?" Because I, I, I think from what I saw, she like had a jacket on and kind of looked like she might have been like security or yeah. working or something. And so she was there for like a couple minutes before anybody realized, "Oh, this lady chained herself to the basket, and she's wearing that same shirt that says Glenn Taylor roast chickens alive' or whatever." So. <laughs> Well, they're uh, what they're reportedly protesting, according to TNT from the first Grizzlies game. Glenn Taylor, the owner of the T Wolves, has an egg farm. One of the birds got bird flu, and they had to put it down. And these people are protesting. I guess they think they put the bird down in an inhumane matter. 